sorry I've been away for a while. I had some other things taking up my time. Player 2. Playing an Inquisitor slash Commissar received orders to travel to the disputed southern border and attempt to exfil Lieutenant Eok. The same lieutenant who has been off-grid for roughly two months after what should have been a three-day trip under Wind City in search of a witch coven, thought to have intel regarding a rash of spell crimes in Metro WC. Inquisitor Commissar Drak Mathus and his attaché Iabog Bog, a combat rifleman and fighting healer from the southern Storm Sea Coast region, and Bog's dog, Sam, traveled via coach to the, uh, Wind City to the disputed territories of the hill folk, and then proceeded on foot over land. Their first night, Inquisitor Commissar M and company encountered the local militia, loyalists, and were accompanied into town. There, Bog procured a local group guide group, and Matus met a friendly fixer who had information regarding the local troubles with fey folk at the southernmost borderlands. Lieutenant Eok briefly interacted with a fey noble and then experienced missing time, having somehow skipped through late afternoon, evening, and hours of night in the Feywood. Making way at dawn, the lieutenant and corporal struggled through dense, dry brush, emerging into a recently burnt section right at the edge of the wood. A lakeside farm presented a possibility of respite, but proved just the opposite as the pair were accosted by what Corporal Kapow termed gerblemen. Only after Yog displayed magic powers did they receive a brief pause, allowing them to inspect the abandoned homestead with classic signs of these gerblemen's destructive antics. Attempting to bring a finding to the corporal's attention, Yog discovered him unconscious. A dark figure had appeared to the lieutenant immediately before, and the presence was strong until he paused and centered faithful reflection, whereupon the fey fiend and its minions began a truly frightful display. The pair quickly grabbed tinned meat and fled down the country lane, nearly reconquered by the advancing feywood. With Inquisitor Commissar M, Bog, Sam, and the guideline and the guides moving on to the region, it is more likely that Lieutenant Eok and Corporal Kapow will meet them. Barleywood. Lieutenant Eok and Corporal Kapow began a camp near nightfall, having put hours on that old trail between them and the Fey haunted house. Just then, a nearby cry of pain and other gurgled sounds drew Kapow's attention. The two lit their red-filtered lights and made their most direct way to the sounds, discovering a structure. Within lay a bleeding man whom the lieutenant treated, Dumeyer. A pilgrim was enjoying the hot springs around which the shrine was built, where the attack had occurred. He told them it was three youth. He thought them not to be locals, but gave no explanation, and 
neither of the two asked. Guiding him to the local inn, Mary, Tom, and two of Tom's friends fed and tended to the trio, and upon hearing of Dewmeyer's injury called for the judge to be roused from a room upstairs. The old man looks like the leader of Stratos from Star Trek TOS The Cloudminders episode took down their information and retired for the night again. Likewise, the lieutenant and corporal bunked down. A dream narrated by an unfamiliar voice urged Yok to allow the narrator to gain influence in exchange for power. Kapow jostled the lieutenant awake. Attempts to rouse the judge with knocks on his door failed, and upon entry they discovered him dead, eyes and mouth open. Something in his throat, Yoke used minor magic to draw out a mildew-laced leaf of an unfamiliar sort and noted a scent of mildew in the room. Downstairs, as Yoke got ready for the day, he overheard Mary and Tom's son, Michael, and Dewmeyer's hushed exclamation that Michael's voice was one of his assailants. As Lieutenant Eok walked down the stairs, he empowered his faith effect and enhanced it for 25-hour duration. When Michael fell into the effect radius, he began writhing, fell to the floor in convulsions, and then expelled a long black form, which produced poltergeist effects as it circled the downstairs room. Candles and kerosene lamps flared, Knickknacks were thrown from their wall-hung displays, etc. One of Tom's friends had the wherewithal to open the door, and the thing, things shrieked as thing shrieked as it fled. During this time, Yolk also heard a thump from behind him in the hall. Michael was deeply unconscious, and the judge's body on the hall floor, apparently having been ambulated during the face spirit's torment. Tending to Michael, the lieutenant was certain something more powerful was at work, and something not inherently inimical to his goddess, rendering his powers of faith null. The priest was summoned, and he and his young fe female acolyte arrived. The priest, black-robed with red sigils and writing of an unknown sort embroidered, grimaced at Eok, but was undeterred as he attempted to rouse the boy. Kapow used his knife to prick Michael's fingertips to try and elicit a response, but there was none. The decision to take Michael to the priest's den was made. Discussing his dream with the druid resulted in the acolyte taking the two to a nearby well, the word having featured in his dream. The unknown Unmowed pasture land was awash in hip-high grass and strewn throughout with large chunks of what may have been gra granite, so many that they made walking treacherous. As the three walked to the pile of stones, Eok noticed the adjacent parcels grass stream streaming as if kissed by wind, but there was something odd about it. It remained a concern as they stood before the covered well. The acolyte uh, entreated the local spirit to answer their questions, and it was gregarious, if menacing. 
While it bargained, the lieutenant continued to watch the grass as the disturbance neared and the skies grew stormy. At the crescendo of the listing negotiations and the danger-close approach of the uncanny wind, Eolk called upon his goddess and committed his remaining resources to the task of bringing spirit to heal. A manifestation of the goddess appeared from nowhere and forced the invisible star demon which had crucified the lieutenant not a but a few days prior to make its presence known just before it could attack the group. The goddess animal servant grappled the star fiend in its great talons and rent it as it flew away with the monster. Before it could be destroyed, the star demon once again disappeared into the nether from in a thunderclap. The spirit bird soared over the well and the trio and at that the water spirit shrieked and was made silent. Streaming ribbons of colored light like the aurora borealis as it passed over the land, the spirit bird disappeared as it rayed out in two beams back to the village. Two other dark spirits were seen to retreat towards the distant Feyhaunt farmhouse. As they, neared, as they neared, sounds of rejoicing reached their ears. All three boys were freed of the baleful influence, and the village began a night of celebration. The druid told Eok, don't worry, you'll see the girl again, then nodded at the two. The acolyte declared her love for Michael, much dancing around the fire and inebriation was had. In a dream, the lieutenant was back in the underground ruins, and the girl who had absorbed the three witches stood some distance before him, smiling. We held it there. Druid tasked to deliver scrying pod to rock cleft shelter in woods. Local militia accused by S.E.S.F. troopers of shooting one of their own. Lieutenant and corporal get mixed in something or one else in the woods, too. After the hangover and the two days post-hangover, pre-weekend restart to Barleywood village life, the lieutenant and corporal are asked by the druid to run a what's-it over to a local kinda sorta on their way north back to the nation proper. Sure, says they, and off they go easterly and northerly towards the woodlands along the coast. Forewarned of the deteriorating weather conditions, the pair observe the darkening sky as they are walking ever closer into a nor'easter. Lieutenant has a strange dreamland's vision on a pre-chow nap on the first leg of the trip, and since his visions are becoming commonplace, and all of the other stuff they have seen, Corporal Kapow doesn't let it spook him. Down the trail the next day, lower and lower elevation, beginning to spruce and pine up as they go, then the puddles in the dry creek bed begin to deepen, then flow. Kapow, much more experienced in the wilds, gets them up on level ground as the rain intensifies. 
Walking through the pine forest begins to get creepy when the lieutenant is sure he spotted someone dodging from one tree to the next. Kapow finds no evidence of this, but dials up his vigilance. Carrying only provisions and short falchions, the two are taking every precaution. Then, lieutenant spots a light up ahead, five or six seconds long. Using the short-range tactical calm spell, which is think to talk, they begin to vector in on it, and then confirm that there are persons of some sort there. Only once reasonably sure, they are close enough to be seen as human, though the rain and darkness, through the rain and darkness, do the two hail the figures. They are quickly confronted by jittery militiamen and a special forces fighter who demands they enter the very shelter to which they had been sent by the druid. Inside, they find a dead, very dying special forces trooper on the table, supposedly shot by one of the militiamen, but they find that unlikely, while one of the sci-fi <laughs> Uh, guys insist that they only, that only untrained so-and-sos could F things up so badly. Lieutenant, being a fighting healer, gets to examining and diagnosing, then thinks to try and resusc resuscitate the guy with raw power and faith, but is informed by me that he's never before done nor seen any anyone do that. Having tack, tapped Kapow, of his available magic power first, the corporal rests in a chair while Lieutenant Eok awkwardly explains why they are there, and that the item he produces from his pack is to be placed on the table once the dead man is removed from it, to the hindmost portion of the roughly cubic interior. Once the more aggressive and dour special forces trooper hears that it is not a sanctioned device, and instead that of a borderlands druid use, things escalate sharply. This is only exacerbated when the lieutenant remembers that they thought that someone else was in the woods. We held it there. The gruff speck op goes out into the rain. The militia men stand guard. Lieutenant locates the store of supplies the druid spoke of, and after overcoming a minor magic, the stone levitates up and out of its place, revealing a cellar. Kapow and one of the militia men search it. Soon, three non-human figures appear and Lieutenant drops a bunch of power into a force field to cover the entrance, preventing their assault. The creatures, however, do find that if they can generate enough force in the same place at the same time, it is possible to penetrate the shield, albeit only one clawed arm at a time. Firing through seems to weaken both the shield and diminish the power of the attack, but bayonet strikes prove more effective. 
The three creatures were killed or driven off, and the McGruff returned, dispatching one of the creatures. They prepared a meal and drank a potion which restored their consumable, and put them in a great and restful mood. Next day, the nor'easter having ended its effects, they make their way for the shore, noting felled trees and much ground clutter from the strong winds last night. The militiamen walk with them as far as the fork, which will take them back to their inland village, while the special forces, Lieutenant and Kapow, continue on towards a peninsula. Along the way, Lieutenant spots something in the fog. He receives confirmation that the image is of a pair of barges lashed together about two miles offshore. They pass by a temporary camp of hundreds of tents surrounding a fixed structure. Two and four wheeled cart traffic back and forth is moving at a steady, quick pace. The four enter a dinghy, silently crewed by dark-coated seamen. And the bunch arrive at the nearby barge, climb a 20-foot rope ladder, and then survey the massive decks, 600 to 800 yards in length and 100 yards wide each. They are greeted by senior naval officers of a rank unusual to encounter, let alone under these circumstances. They go below decks and enter a room roughly 100 by 100 foot. In this room, a disheveled woman bound hand and feet in a block of metal. Lieutenant could feel her as they neared the barge, but the proximity is having a deleterious effect on the others, who are subjected to an overwhelming lust. She is covered in food or vomit, but the urge is still almost more than they can ward off. The lieutenant is informed that the capital has informed them of his original mission, find a coven of which is strongly implicated in the public murder of a criminal informant, and contact to a magical arms deal, and ask him to determine if this demoniac is an asset or pure liability by quizzing her on distant events and other intel of which they already know. It becomes clear that she either has already memorized the questions from an earlier recitation or can read minds. The lieutenant confer, confers with his superiors in a symbol encoded magical comlink, as every time they speak, even in encoded comms, she laughs and repeats the words or speaks in context. Eok is not as conversant in these symbols and struggles to, s to decipher them in real time but is able to convey that she is not only a true demoniac, but that should the demon be exorcised, as he can do, it would simply find a new, unknown host elsewhere, possibly in a far more sensitive position. They thank him for the confirmation of their suspicion, and order the barges to be moved out into open waters, especially now that the girl who had been possessed by the golden crown thing, absorbed the three witch allies, Eok, Sarge, and Kapow, had been traveling with whom, I guess. 
The corporal and Eog disembark the barge, but a new dinghy crew meets them. As the crew departs, suspicions mount that these seamen are not friends of the Empire, as the craft is rowed much further and towards a mangrove swamp. We held it there. Dinghy captain and crew. <laughs> Worcestershire rum. Mangrove, shanty bar, stiff wind, vodka dirty martini plus Sprite plus water, Kapow's food allergy attack, meat made, portion, sorry, Port Town Street stabbing witnessed, compound security, bungalow, attack by five aquatic snake people like the woman in Wind City. That drives three off, one is killed, one taken back to the base to be interrogated. Enter Lady Lieutenant Cole, oh, sorry, enter Lady Lieutenant Colonel Kersa Terim. The Blue Snake Woman, Captive Odra Mai, which translates to seashore glider, first generation, lesser duty amphibian, land scout, smoke, subtle journey, water artifice, artifice of water travel subtly, traveler by artifice of water, hapiast lam, work best, temporary amphibian energy, subtle above surface, polar premier journeyer, Quest to meet people, secret message worker, secret envoy, explains that contacting Colonel Kersa Terim was their mission. Their nest warns of a danger from the demoniac aboard the barges. Aquatic life are falling under her control, or replying in kind to her evil nature towards an attack or infiltration, likely the capital, ashing. Hermons, <laughs> Hermasonia. The Sleeth explained that it was part of a secret delegation to warn of a maritime attack by the barge demon, and that the demon was already there. Sorry, the enemy was already there. Moments later, sounds of fighting draws the lieutenant colonel away and Kapow insists on freeing the Sleeth. The three of them head through the complex to the base grounds. A giant crustacean proves the warning was accurate. The crab has riders who occasionally attack the base personnel, but the thing was headed towards town. Lieutenant dispatched Kapow and some marines to climb the thing in the hopes of stopping its rampage. Strewn around the lieutenant are amputees snipped by the crustacean, and base personnel are ill-equipped to deal with the sheer number of radical blood-loss demands. He powers up and begins dispensing one-point blood-loss stops to individual patients. This turns morale in their favor. Then a warning is shouted. Spiky spheres begin rolling towards the base. 
Some are shot, but seem resistant to small arms spellfire. These biological troop carriers breach the damaged defenses and then open to reveal three to five giant fishmen which leap into melee. Bayonets prove insufficient to the monstrous reach of these large opponents, and heads literally roll. A second shout of alarm is raised, and what looks like a second wave of these creatures on foot are rushing out from the sea, grape, tree, leaves, and palm veg. Thinking vertically, Lieutenant used his specialist magic to move two fire teams, one of grenadier and one of assaulters, above the mayhem on the ground, then powered up further and lifted himself as well. The troops took advantage of the new resource to best advantage, but in a moment, in a moment's break, asked to form small mixed groups to cover gaps in timing and range. Lieutenant then used another point to move the three points forward, which then inspired ground forces to take the fight off the base. This was short-lived as Lieutenant Colonel recalled them from an ambush. Lieutenant Yoke was then ordered to pursue the crab into town. Using his movement magic, Lieutenant put out a raging fire with a wave of beach sand, then moved the sortie further into town, with the troops on the lookout for Kapow in a collapsed building. It wasn't long before he was found. The debris was cleared enough to gain access to him, but Lieutenant had to disembark the troops to pound ground as he flew Kapow back to base post-haste. Medics, too. War to him off... took him. Medics took him off the lieutenant's hand, and he reported to HQ. Here, a general and his staff directed Eok to join an ad hoc think tank to devise rapid spell tech for deep-sea operations. Pots and witches brew... Pots of witches brew later. Lieutenant was spelled into chow and bunk, where he then dreamt of a burning figure speaking horrible things as he floated ten or fifteen feet above. This was interrupted by a wake-up order and breakfast before deployment. The lieutenant was introduced to a specialist force he was to lead, learnt of new, rapidly developed spell tech permitting seafloor operation, and saw the Sleeth envoy assigned to the group, now nicknamed Blue. We held it there. <laughs>